Mark Lynch, director of the project on Middle East political science. Welcome back to the Polmaps Middle East Books podcast, our series of conversations with authors with new books in the field. Joining us today is Jaron Lord of the uh, of the University of Oxford, where she's a British Academy postdoctoral research fellow. Um, she's the author of the new book, Religious Politics in Turkey, From the Birth of the Republic to the AKP, uh, which was just published by Cambridge University Press. Uh, Jaron, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Mark, for giving the opportunity to talk about my book. Well, let's talk about your book. Uh, what is, just Let's just start by you telling us a little bit about the book. What, what's the main contribution and purpose of the book um, that you set out trying to write it? So, um, the, in writing the book, um, I was particularly focused on two questions. One being, you know, what accounts for the political salience and persistence of religious identity in the ostensibly secular Turkish Republic? And um, so it connected to this um, sort of, you know, case specific question was a broader question of broader relevance, which is what does the Turkish case tell us about why certain contexts are uh, uh, more con conducive to politicization of, of religious identities and others. And you can basically ended up talking more about looking at why, you know, we've seen this since the 1970s uh, religious revival or, you know, emergence of religious politics, which has become very prevalent in our world. Um, but, but this hasn't been sort of universally the case and not just in the Muslim majority context either. So it's just looking at this also this broader question through this case study. And, and I believe my book offers a corrective to uh, some of the established or common wisdoms about looking at Islamist politics or religious politics more broadly in terms of seeing it as a, uh, as a reaction to the crisis of the secular state and so on, or, or sort of, of a grassroots mobilization against the uh, secular state. Instead, I focus on how uh, religious politics should be situated as the outcome of a more dynamic struggle within the state itself, mm -hmm. uh, the terms of which have been shaped by a sort of a longer term processes related to uh, nation state building. And this, this focus really isn't, you know, it's in line with some of the literature that we have in nationalism studies or, you know, Stein Rokan, which looks at, which, show, which we, we suggest that in order to understand sort of our current political cleavages or, 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 or you know, the sort of the types of boundaries that have become very salient in political and economic competition, we really need to look at sort of the original um, conditions of state building and territorial organization. So I have a very sort of long term uh, focus on the Turkish Republic, its creation, and, and how this has influenced the, the, the salience or um, relevance of uh, Islamist politics. Well, so, and that's really interesting. So I think what makes Turkey such an interesting case for this is that most people have the impression or the understanding of the Kemalist Republic as being so aggressively um, secularizing. Exactly. And, <laughs> right. And so, and so in the book, you really dig into that and you look at how the, at the role of, of the ulama and the Dianet in, in this, even the Kemalist Republic. Walk us through this a little bit. How the Islamic sector um, was built into the state, um, you know, and, and kind of how it progresses through. So I didn't catch the last question. It cut off. Oh, just a kind of the, the how, how the, um, the religious sector was incorporated into uh, the Turkish state. Yes, yeah, so here, um, you know, it, the, the whole uh, notion of path dependency and how, you know, the importance of historical legacy is really important because even when we had the very, very sort of revolutionary moment in the 1920s of the Turkish Republic, um, you know, being established, you know, what most, most of the literature really focuses on um, the, the secularization laws, uh, which were, you know, went far, much further than any other Muslim majority context. 
Um, so they have tended to situate a, a really massive break in uh, sort of state religion relations compared to the Ottoman past. But what we see instead is that actually there were uh, greater degrees of continuity in which the Ottoman religious uh, in you know, uh, authorities, okay, they, you know, it didn't persist in the same way in the Republic when Diyanet was, or the Turkish ulema, a body that, uh, uh, that is employed by, or that is part of the state, uh, was not as powerful, and its, you know, its, its power significantly di diminished compared to the Ottoman uh, chief religious authority of the Sheikh al-Islam. Um, there was a continuity in, in, in incorporating that religious corpse within the Republic. Within, in, as, in the, by establishing the institution of presidency of religious affairs in, in, in uh, 1924. And not just that, but uh, you know, it's been well established that Sunni Islam was, was, a, was a major aspect, a constitutive part of Turkish national identity. Um, and that Muslim Sunni Muslim Turks were privileged in, 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 in uh, nation building. So in terms of they had uh, you know, in, in the economy, the, 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 um, for example, you saw the prioritization of, of the creation or, and, and privileging of Sunni Muslims within, uh, within you know, uh, various businesses and so on. So it, <clears throat> it was pervasive, uh, the incorporation of religion and religious identity was pervasive within, uh, in the early years of the Republic and, 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 and the institutionalization of, of that and bodies like the Diyanet uh, result have, have resulted in its persistence over time and, and growing strength over time due to various contingent factors that I also explain in the book, like the, the, the Cold War anti-communism uh, struggles that uh, saw the exp a massive expansion of religious infrastructure from the 1940s onwards. And one of the things which is very interesting then is that you really make a, make a point of analyzing the Dianet as an institution itself rather than just as an instrument of, of, of the Republic. Yes. So uh, what that because, what, why is that important to understand the Dianet in those terms? So um, as, as, you, as you pointed out, so much of the Turk narrative on Turkey that is, has been sort of so, so common and prevalent academic and journalist accounts of Turkey has been sort of what Dennis Candioti has described as a master narrative. So the splitting of the secular state, the Kemalist state against uh, religious society. And so I started working on the Diyanet, um, uh, you know, back in the 2000s, and I just could not put this uh, institution, this formid formidable institution, which has a monopoly over Muslim religious life in Turkey, you know, has over um, 140,000 uh, religious functionaries, 88,000 mosques, and, you know, gets a massive chunk of the budget, um, you know, you know, employs, uh, you know, basically monopolizes all, all mosques and, and, and employs all the imams. Um, that you just could not pick, you know, every, the, the most, um, most of the literature saw this as an apparatus of the secular state and under the AKP, the Dianet came to be seen as the AKP's, uh, uh, you know, implementer of the AKP's uh, ideology. Whereas if you look at it, if you understand, if you start to look at the state as a sort of a more differentiated entity and look at the practices of what the Dianet has been doing, actually has greater levels of agency and has been one of the key agents of Islamization in Turkey that's been completely missed in the literature because there's such a binary analytical framework in looking at the country. So um, it was through the, looking at the Dianet that I, you know, really started to see the state not in, so, in these sort of very 
starkly sort of monolithic secular uh, in a very unified centralized you know, entity but to look at it as more sort of differentiated you know, arena of contestation between different uh, you know, blocks of um, uh, groups that have diverging political projects. But then what really strikes me then as, as, you, as you trace it through the history is how the, the initial space that it, that it claims really begins to expand at certain points and, and in, has some unintended consequences. Yeah, so initially the, the expansion of the Dianet comes, uh, well, well, so in the 1920s, it, you know, we have a, we, we have a, a sort of diminishing of, of, of the status of the ulema, uh, you know, as, 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 as embodied within the Dianet. And then from the 1940s, as I explained, it's uh, the sort of, the, the, they, they're able, both the Dianet uh, and other authorities are, you, are able to use the, the fight against communism to pitch, you know, this, you know, the, the religion as the, essentially the antidote to the communist threat. And the Dianet is, is very good at negotiating this. So actually what happens is that it is during the periods of um, military coups, <laughs> the, this very ostensibly secular military interventions, that the Dianet infrastructure massively expands. Um, especially the 1960 coup, for example, which is supposed to be the most secular intervention in Turkish history. So you have this expansion, but it's it's also negotiated by, I mean, what is clear is I, 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 I ended up using a lot of, um, I really delved into the archives of the Diana mm -hmm. itself. So I can see the, you know, the negotiations that are taking place in the background. Um, between you know, the Dianet, uh, you know, they're asked to do a sermon um, by the military, but then you know they they, in, in, they also um, lobby for you know sort of rights for um, other religious orders, you know, or, or things like expansion of religious education and, and greater control of education by the ulema and so on. So there's always this sort of negotiation. Um, so that that. Uh, so you have the expansion with the military coups um, in 19, after the 1980 coup. Their the role is even more uh, is increasingly expanded under the Turkish Islamic synthesis project that is um, adopted by the military, which is basically an Islamization program um, that's developed by writers and Islamists in the 1970s. And then at the AKP era, it's just really an un unprecedented expansion that you see. Um, but it's it's not just that you know these um, the secular state is uh, you know ex expanding the Dianet. Again, as I said, it's the, the Dianet is also in the background negotiating these changes, mm -hmm. using opportunities that come up to argue why it's important for its infrastructure to be uh, uh, expanded. Um, so it's, and, then, it's and then the more that it expands its public role, the more it almost has a boomerang effect on what it can then demand. Exactly, because it's it's an Islamic authority, right? So, um, it, it, it's uh, the, the more that the you know the, the 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 government tries to use it, the more it's it's giving it the right to, de to determine what is Islamically acceptable, essentially. And, and and so one of the one of the um, I mean, there's a, a lot of different arguments that are going on in the book, but one of them is about how they reconceptual or how they conceptualize Turkish identity there around this kind of Sunni majoritarianism concept. Mm -hmm. um, can you say a little bit about uh, the different ways in which the Alevis and the Kurds fit into that narrative? Yes, yeah, so the, I would say um, also have been working a lot on the Alevis, and what is very clear is that you know. Uh, 
the, the ulema and Turkey play a major role in uh, delineating the, the boundaries of nation. Uh, so um, they have been the persistent um, in terms of their rejection of the recognition of uh, you know, <coughs> rights demanded by the Alevi community. Uh, for example, in, the, in terms of the recognition, recognition of their places of worship, like Jemevis. Um, even when, even when uh, you know, part aspects of the military and even the AKP have made uh, campaign promises um, for the recognition of, of, of Jemevis, and uh, you know, the chief of the Dianet would then intervene and say, um, this is our red line. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's the, 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 they have definitely played a, 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 a crucial role in terms of, mm -hmm. um, that's, uh, sort of, in terms of the exclusion of Alevis within that uh, contract, an exclusion of, of uh, in terms of gaining equal access to state resources. Uh, the, the Kurdish aspect is a little bit more complicated, I suppose, because there is um, they had been more willing to absorb. There is there are different factions of, of course, the Dianet itself is not monolithic, so there is more than Turkish nationalist ulema, let's say, and 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 and, and those that are emphasised Islamic unity. So there have been uh, some that have had problems uh, in terms of recognising. Uh, Kurdish difference, ethnic difference, and others, you know, during the, the opening process, uh, the peace process with uh, the Kurds in the, uh, a couple of years ago with the AKP, the, um, the chief of the Dianet uh, went to uh, sort of the Kurdish areas um, and, you know, gave um, various, uh, said various things about how it's okay to speak Kurdish and so on and so forth. So it's, uh, they can make the sort of the Islamic um, they can unify on a sort of Islamic, uh, make the link on the Islamic, um, uh, you know, basis. But right. any any um, uh, Alevis that reject an Islamic framing of their identity is seen essentially as um, heretical. So I mean, and that's the biggest continuity, I guess, in terms of. Uh, the Dianet's identity is it's uh, and with the Ottoman um, Ottoman ulema is this. Uh, the fact that it sees it has continued to seize, uh, see Alevism as a heretical other, um, and that hasn't changed. Let's um let's let's change tracks just a little bit because um, one of the really interesting threads that runs through kind of the second half of the book is the uh, is the role of the Gulen movement and how and its relationship uh, with both uh, the AKP but also with uh, these religious institutions, with the Dianet. Uh, can you explain just a little bit about who the Gulenists are and how they relate to these institutions? So, I mean, Gulen itself was a Dianet imam. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you have the, Isla it's the, it's the Islamic and Islamist milieu in, in the Turkish case. It's obviously very diverse, and the Gulenists are an offshoot of the Nur movement. Um, but you can see that um, they were treated with suspicion by various other Islamist uh, groups and Islamic groups. Um, uh, they were very, I think Gulen was very, uh, very successful in, in, in building um, relations with, uh, with the other state bodies. So it's, it's, he's known to have 
it seems that he built very good relations with the military. It's interesting that even after the 1997 intervention, Gulenist schools proliferated despite you know, Gulen being exiled in the US, mm-hmm. um, whereas the, the, the Imam Hatib schools, uh, the, the religious schools run by, uh, <laughs> administered by the Ministry of Education, were essentially restricted. So uh, there's an interesting link with the state there that has existed uh, from the start. And the fact that he has, he was, he used his um, uh, role as, you know, as a sort of emeritus um, Dianet uh, Imam to, uh, to, to do sermons in some of the biggest mosques, uh, even after uh, you know, an arrest warrant in, in, in was initially issued in 1980s. Just, it testifies to the sort of the very close links that he was able to develop and use his opportunities um, uh, you know, with the state. Mm-hmm. And, and so once he has those positions, then, then what does he do with it? Well, effectively, he seems to have been very good at building a uh, power base. So, I mean, I don't really like to, call, uh, to speak about this sort of infiltration of the state as much, but you know, the fact that he was uh, very successfully eroded institutions uh, is, 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 is testifies to the, you know, the sort of... Um, the kind of power that he had. Uh, so I mean by that, uh, so the rigging of uh, state examinations, for example, mm-hmm. which which were which were a crucial um, aspect of you know Turkey has always been described as a very strong state, for, um, you know, stretching back to the Ottoman Empire, and you have these you know largely meritocratic and functioning state examinations, um, and you know what we see is a systemic. Uh, systematic undermining of uh, institutional strength through, uh, you know, rigging of these uh, examination, uh, you know, exa- state exams for the civil service. Uh, it's nicely again described by uh, in a short article by Dennis Candiotti, um, which results in this kind of a what she calls a mutation, right, of the state in which, um, you know, you really. You basically undermine and eroded the state through your uh, through um, the expansion of Gulenist cadres, um, uh, which really didn't deserve to be there, <laughs> essentially. Right. Um, which were useful for the AKP in the original years, but clearly, um, what we have seen is that that turned into a power struggle. I mean, I don't think that there. I don't see any um, ideological. Uh, uh, but you know, distinction really that that or major fallout between the two sides. What is very clear is there was a power struggle, um, and uh, which you know didn't turn out so well for um, the Gulenist side so far. It it always has been very you know difficult to really understand exactly what happened there with the break between the AK the AKP and the Gulenists, since it had been such a fruitful uh, partnership for so long. Yes, uh, so I, I, I think it, it, it's, it, it was not, um, you know, historically the Gulenists have, also, have always seemed to have uh, attracted the ire of different parts of the Islamist movement for precisely um, other, other uh, factions have seen them as trying to uh, take over. Um, and, and perhaps that was a dynamic that was, um, that resulted, uh, you know, what we see, you know, you see this first cracks developing around 2011, they're basically, uh, uh, you know, wanting more uh, power within the parliament and ministries and so on. 
and it's just it just becomes a competition uh, and uh, clearly uh, the pre current president does not want to um, continue to share that power um, but, but does, does losing does losing that that cadre and 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 uh, by by having that battle does that weaken Erdogan's control over the state uh, so there's been a massive, uh, you, know, uh, um, uh, you know, they have gotten rid of thousands and thousands of people mm -hmm. since uh, the, 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 the recent uh, coup attempt uh, in 2016. Um, so it has, it has, it has weakened and I wouldn't say it's weakened, but it, it's what they've done is um, they've, they've basically, you know, it's been a massive transformation of the state uh, mm -hmm. bureaucracy, let's say, which is unprecedented, really, in Turkish history, uh, in terms of the amount of civil servants that they have removed from office. Um, it seems that there, they, what's happened now is that they have been replaced by various other religious, uh, some, some of the other religious organizations, like the Menzel Tariqa or the Navanakshivandi, uh, order has been you know, taken over some posts and uh, more pro Erdogan uh, cadres have filled, filled the state. So I wouldn't say he's lost control, but that the state has turned into kind of little fiefdoms of different religious orders in some way, in, in parts. I mean, that would be too much of an exaggeration. But um, th there's also been, um, you know, filling the state with uh, people that um, are sort of very sort of patrimonial, like. You know, with, with friends and relatives. So, I mean, I was in, I was in uh, doing field work on a, something on my new project in Ankara recently, and you know, visiting uh, municipalities, and they are full of people that used to work, for example, in the treasury, who highly qualified, mm -hmm. um, you know, with MBAs in the you know US and Europe uh, that have been pushed out of the treasury, which is now filled with you know Erdogan's you know cadres that are you know pro AKP that have do not have the qualifications basically so um, you've just have them emptying out um, of, of, of these institutions and filling them up with um, um, pro AKP and Erdogan um, uh, you know um, people that are not necessarily qualified to do the job in that sense you know the Gulenists uh, because they invested a lot in education uh, were, you know, to some extent more qualified, uh, even if they, many of them, you know, have, may have taken those jobs through, uh, you know, rigging of the examination system. Well, let me ask you just one, one last question then. Um, how much of this is just a story about Turkey and how much of it can generalize beyond uh, that very unique and distinctive uh, Turkish experience with the evolution of the state? I think that it can be. Uh, so my argument is that the Turkish case tells us something about, uh, you know, a sort of a blind spot we've developed um, uh, with regards to understanding religious politics and politics generally, which is why in my book, I, I you know, I closed off with looking at um, India, Malaysia and Ireland to, uh, to sort of test, let's say, um, my um, sort of analytical prism of religious majoritarianism uh, and, and just sort of trying to understand you know, why, again, it's going back to the original question, why religious politics is more prevalent in some contexts and not others. And, uh, you know, they're arguing that it really depends on uh, these sort of, uh, you know, historic, you know, early stages of nation building. Mm -hmm. um, and 
that we have to um, and we should uh, adopt a more um, differentiated idea of the state. Uh, I think so. Part of part of the problem, I think, is the sort of the prevalence, especially of uh, what you know Hadi and I in a, in a recent book called the Assadian School of you know post-colonial works, uh, which really <coughs> um, you know also adopt uh, this sort of very you know secular state as a blame um, and uh, you know only. Uh, religion, only the religious um, uh, citizens are the authentic citizens, and there is this a really, you know, you should see this in, in, in the works of Tal Asad and, 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 you know, his, his uh, people that follow his work, uh, Salah Mahmoud, and so on. Uh, we really need to get away from this sort of monolithic idea of the state um, as, you know, you know, incredibly mm -hmm. sort of, uh, secular. So in that, and there is some really great works which I think. Uh, my book uh, sits with that um, that have come out recently. Uh, so Hazem Kandel's book, The Power Triangle, um, and you know Kirsten Fabe's book, um, yeah. some of these which which adopt a far more you know sort of um, sophisticated and um, analysis that doesn't just look at this you know these sort of assume that religious uh, these Muslim majority contexts are necessarily. Um, going to be, you know, you know, Islamist politics is not necessarily the natural um, politics of Muslims, um, mm -hmm. and that um, the states are not just this, you know, secular monolithic entity. So I would, I would say that there is uh, that the work should speak to, well, I hope it speaks to uh, the wider literature on religious politics. Well, I, I, it's a it's a really great book, and um, we've been speaking with uh, Jaron Lord of University of Oxford uh, with this terrific new book, Religious Politics in Turkey: From the Birth of the Republic to the AKP. Uh, Jaron, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Thank you.